It's time for the Hadit.com radio show. Hadit.com radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cook. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, on this ninth day of December 2016. We're here today with our co-host, Jay Basser, and... uh, our guest speaker today is is uh, Dr. Bridget Cantrell. Um, how you doing today, Bridget? I'm doing really great. I'm uh, living up here in the Northwest, and we have snow, so I'm a happy camper. Well, uh, you can keep your snow. That makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll try to do that. Uh, today we was going to uh, talk some on on PTSD, and you're heavily involved uh, with uh, PTSD veterans and traumatic brain injury veterans, also, aren't you? Yes, I am. I certainly am. And now, do you have a clinic, or do you just go from? One facility to another. No, I have a private practice in uh, two two cities in Bell- in uh, Washington State, and um, I'm also I also um, am I consult with different people on some of the issues that we are dealing with, and then I'm also involved in working with law enforcement and uh, first responders, uh, looking at how trauma affects them as well, and how we can intervene and help them deal with uh, the issues that they face every day. And they do face a lot. Uh, they sure do, it, absolutely. It's, it's really, yeah, I know I know several first responders here a, mm-hmm. in Missouri, and uh, I know some of the traumatic uh, uh, events uh, that they went to. And That's right. Today we it, just, uh, I was watching the, services for um, an officer here in our our state that was put to rest today, Officer Gutierrez, um, who was killed in, in a domestic dispute. So it's it hits hard. It hits us all hard, you know, and, and the same with the military. There's a, you know, there's a, a brotherhood, sisterhood uh, around that, which helps everyone um, get through those difficult processes, but processes, but you know, the after effects are something that we they live with for the rest of their lives. Yeah, and, uh, it, you know, it takes a lot of work uh, mm. to maintain that and keep it under control, uh, I would imagine. Uh, it really does. It's not something you can be passive about. Um, and, the, and the more we talk about it and the more... Uh, you know, different groups like the military, you know, they're really at the forefront of talking about post-traumatic stress now, and the law enforcement are getting on on um, on that as well. So are the firemen. And, you know, we have so many people that are out there in our communities even, besides just the military, uh, that are affected by post-traumatic stress. And 
and like I say, the more we talk about it and the more we normalize it and know that it's something that you really need to um, work, with, work with and recognize and understand in order to make uh, a positive uh, uh, trajectory on the healing. Oh, yes, I imagine, yeah. Although I've, uh, I've had veterans with PTSD contact me after I've had shows on PTSD, mm-hmm. and they said it, uh, it brought back unwanted memories to them, you know, as we're discussing. Some veterans are just not up to discussing it. That's right. That's right. And it does. It triggers uh it triggers some of the memories and um and that's very difficult. So there you know, there's different types of treatment that people use to deal with post traumatic stress and some of which are actually an immersion type therapy where they immerse them in um the the process of remembering the traumatic events. And um so it depends and what works best for the individual is uh, what I'm all about. What what works for them and makes them feel that they can uh, tolerate dealing with some of the issues that they're uh, working through, rather than just um, you know use one type of therapy or one one philosophy and say this is the way we're going to work on it. I think it's really important as a clinician or even as a peer to understand that everyone has a different uh, level of tolerance and resiliency, and we need to keep that in mind when we're working through trauma. Didn't they used to uh, uh, use the shock treatment uh, on on veterans pretty heavy? I, I, I don't know the history of that, but I know that I have had personally uh, a few of my patients that are not veterans that have gone through the electroconvulsive therapy, and uh, um, some have been affected in a positive way, others have not, you know. Uh, and so that also depends on the individual, and um, there are risk factors both ways of certainly not doing anything or uh, doing something that's a quite... Um, Unusual, but it is effective in certain instances. So, I think they used to do that. But I can't answer that question specifically. Uh, what about these uh, video games? I've read where now the VA, uh, in some cases, has resorted to video games uh, to help them with their PTSD. Mm-hmm. Yep, they do that. They. They, um, it's a, it's a way of, um, it's, uh, it's a way of kind of, um, uh, de- debriefing, deactivating them, um, but also from having them step away from the actual trauma, but actually being able to manipulate in, within the video game, um, and I, I think that some of that is effective, especially with our younger generation, because that's their culture, is, uh, they grew up on video games, and so this is very familiar to them. So um, I think that's effective for some people. And they're doing all sorts of interesting types of um, treatments that we're not used to hearing. And I think that uh, it's just uh, really important to explore all those options. And I know the VA is opening themselves up to different types of treatment. I just um, I had a veteran of mine who attended 
our PTSD uh, treatment center in American Lake uh, for a month, and he said it was wonderful. I mean, they they had classes on post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury, chronic pain, substance abuse, communication, relationship issues. So they tried to target all the um, important parts uh, of our lives that are affected by trauma. And then they had uh, really nice activities, pool and music. They had a music room where you could go in and play guitars and piano and um, and kind of uh, wind down. So I think that it's very important to um, be able to have a variety of uh, distractions and and things that are going to bring back joy into their lives. I think one of the main things I've seen that I I really personally uh, uh, think is worth pursuing even more than what they have is uh, a dog, uh, using mm. the dogs. Oh. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And if anybody, I'm sure some of your listeners are probably on Facebook, and if they ever go to my Facebook page, um, I have animal uh, things posted all the time, and, and, you know, I get compliments on that and comments from people because they say it's just so uplifting. Um, and in my practice as well, I have several of my veterans and even civilians that have service animals, and, and of course, they come into the office, and it's just amazing um, what uh, an asset they are to extend the quality of the life for a person who's been affected by trauma. And not only trauma, but, I mean, I have dogs that are, uh, they notify their handlers if they're about to have a seizure, if their medication hasn't been taken. I mean, it's amazing what these animals do for people. And it's so oftentimes much easier to be uh, in a relationship with a four-legged little furry animal than it is to, with a human being who has expectations, whereas the animal loves the person unconditionally and, and it gives them something to love. And the reciprocal relationship there is so vital to the process of healing and feeling like they have a purpose and and, and it brings them joy, it makes them feel safe, and they're not alone. I know Teresa, she has a service dog. Uh, mm-hmm. She's the one that uh, uh, generated the had a website. And mm-hmm. uh, um, without her having that, we wouldn't be here now. So bless her heart. Uh, uh, but uh, she was really thrilled to death when she finally, um, I think the dog named Cindy. Uh, do what, you remember what's the John? dog's name? I, I think her name is Cindy. Oh, how sweet is that? And, um, but she just swears by her. I mean, you know, they're like... Uh, and, I mean, they're best buddies. <laughs> yes, they are. And, and, uh, and it's just its a beautiful thing to see that relationship develop and how much um, progress people make when they have a service animal. And, and they can travel with that service animal and go everywhere, uh, which is really a wonderful, uh, wonderful attribute to having that relationship. Oh, it is. And... I I see where uh, it looks like the VA or different organizations 
are getting more into helping train service animals uh, for veterans, and uh, which is, uh, in my opinion, it's a wonderful thing. It is, and and you know, there's more people getting involved in that. I mean, I know there's certain organizations where those animals are extremely expensive, but there's some really wonderful organizations out there that are donating or you know take, taking a nominal fee for these for these animals and there also there's organizations that will actually help the veteran with their existing animals they have a dog and they want to use that as a service animal they'll go through training with their dog extensive training and uh that's a wonderful thing oh yes uh, let's hope that program keeps moving forward because it's, it's one that you can see results uh, fairly quick. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a, a, a quite a few programs, like I've been involved in equine therapy as well, and that is, is a great uh uh, great relationship too when we use horses and we put horses and veterans together that's a wonderful um combination um and you know you have to earn the respect of a of a horse and we you earn that re- relationship and you learn uh it's like looking in a mirror at yourself and that's a very powerful process of healing for veterans oh yes uh, yeah, I've seen where they abused horses too, and and that's a that's a good thing because you know a horses um, they really get adapted to people pretty easy. Mhm. And they pick up the nuances of behavior. So if a a veteran is angry and is easily agitated and aroused, well. Uh, a horse is easily aroused too because they're prey animal. They're prey animals, and and so they're very aware of their environment, very much like a veteran is. So it's really wonderful to see all those defenses kind of melt away, and and then you see them coming together and bonding. It's it's uh, very gratifying to see that. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many? Uh, uh, Clients do you have, or veterans do you have, come to your your facilities there? Well, I uh, I don't know. I mean, I've I've worked with thousands of them, and and of course, in my private practice, that's the majority of who I see. Um, and I also work with their families too. Um, I I don't know exactly how many that I have in my private practice. I don't keep track. I just know I I get new referrals every day, and I get them in as soon as I can. And I work with their post-traumatic stress, their war zone trauma, or military sexual trauma. Also, um, I assist them uh, with uh, uh, providing new evidence for their service connection disability claims and uh, social security claims. So, um, I, it's just uh, it's my passion, it's my calling, and it's just such an honor to be able to, you know, walk in, walk that journey with them and help them find some type of relief and hope in their lives. Well, that's wonderful. You're doing good work. 
I love what I get to do. And one of my favorite things is when I do my workshops. And I, I do those. I used to do them more uh, when before uh, when the war first started, before people started putting together big workshops. I was doing that. And I had so um, much, I guess I could say, I was having fun working with all these soldiers and Air Force guys and Marines and sailors right out of the war zone. I was just really enjoying having the um, privilege of doing that and helping them uh, learn about what they're going through. And it's normal. I mean, so many times people um, come home and they they think, well, you know, I'll get out of the military and I'll be good to go. And then finally they realize that that's not quite how it goes. And they start to find that they're not fitting in as well as they had thought they would, and um, especially working in a civilian sector. So feeling, helping them understand the process and the stages associated with uh, with those types of things of, of finally um, terminating and getting out of the military is one thing, but also working with them while they're still in and helping them um, to keep moving forward and to help them understand that, you know, you're not alone out there and, the, some of the things that you're going through are certainly the same as what your your neighbor's going through right next to you, and talking about it is very important. Telling your story and having witnesses to your story is extremely important. Oh, it sure is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and and you work with the psychiatrists or sociologists mm-hmm. there to be a absolutely. Uh, I work with uh, all of the entire team of people. You know, a lot of these guys are already embedded in the VA system, but I work with their providers. Hold on, just a moment. I have to, I have to make this little dog be quiet. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay, I settled him down. But um, the other thing is working as a team to help provide as uh, as uh, complete services as possible. So I work a lot with the people who prescribe the medication, whether it be a, um, a primary care physician, a psychiatrist, a psychiatric nurse practitioner. Um, it's, and it's very important that we all work together, and I, I really highly recommend that people that go into this area of work that you uh, start building relationships with these primary care people on the other side of the of the coin so that we can provide really a pretty much holistic look at how we're going to be working with this individual. It's very important. Now, you mentioned that you work with uh, folks, uh, Social Security also. Um, mm-hmm. Have you seen much of a, a uh, calling for that? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, and this is also in the civilian sector as well. But a lot of people don't realize that um, they're eligible for Social Security benefits. And I uh, really highly urge them to apply and and see if they are eligible for any type of uh, services that are are rendered through that process because those are different than what the VA offer and that might help also improve the quality of their lives and uh, help them um, um, live a better life. So I think that's a very important part of this. Well, I could also apply to veterans too, couldn't it? 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And so many veterans that I know think, well, if I, I, I'm not eligible if I get my VA disability, but that's not the case. You're, you're eligible for both. So it's very important that, you know, you, you learn to know what the resources are around you, know where to go for information, and uh, find out what you're eligible for. So hooking up with the service organization, you know, whether it's the VFW, DAV, um, VVA, whatever, uh, or uh, the Iraq, um, the Iraq uh, organizations, the ones that are for the younger guys. Anything you can do to hook up with a service officer is very important because they're a wonderful resource of information, and uh, they can direct them uh, with all of those types of things. Or a vet center, if they don't want to go to the VA hospital, there's vet veter- VA centers, vet centers in different towns throughout the the country that can help them if they're a combat veteran can help them get information on what they're eligible for as well because they'll have service officers on site. Well, that's good. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I know a lot of towns do have, uh, like in Joplin here, we got a place called a Memorial Hall. And I think once or twice a year they have a big veterans uh, deal down there where they have, uh, like, service officers and what have you, Mm -hmm. and veterans can come in off the street or just, you know, and ask them questions, see what type of new benefits might be available, which... I think yeah, it's a uh, they have stand we have stand downs as well where we get uh sometimes there's primary care people there uh to do vital signs to check different aspects of the veteran even physically as well as service organizations and so and have different uh, um you know like somebody there to talk about VA loans and and if they're going to use their VA loan to purchase a home and stuff like that so uh, getting involved and knowing what your community offers is really important because things are always changing. And, like, you know, for example, the Agent Orange Registry, you know, for the Vietnam vets, I mean, they're always adding more presumptive diagnoses to that or the Gulf War uh, Syndrome or the um, the uh, OIF-OEF, uh, the, um, um, the situation where they have all the burn pits and stuff, they have uh, different or different um, services available in a registry. So it's really important that you stay on top of whatever it is uh, that your particular era is dealing with so that you can find out what benefits are uh, there for you. That's true because the uh, DOD or the VA is not the best to always... Uh, keep the veterans updated. Um, I mean, they might have the information out there, of course, unless you're you're pretty savvy on VA's uh, materials, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you wouldn't know. And if you can go to one of these uh, meetings or something like that and someone mm-hmm. bring that to, attention, to your attention, and and you might be eligible for benefits, not even know it. Yeah, that's right. And you know, I I also attend. Uh, we have sometimes our state representatives will come up, and people from the governor's office, and and we'll have different meetings, uh, like at the American Legion, for example. So it's it's really important that 
our veterans' voices are heard so that they attend these meetings and bring their concerns to the table so that these representatives that are, you know, going back and conveying this information so that we can get policy changes done. And that's how things happen. If we are the squeaky wheel and we let our voices be heard, and I'm a major vet veterans advocate, that's how things change, and that's how awareness uh, is kept alive. So I think that's really important to be proactive and uh, involved in your community when you have an opportunity like that. So uh, what do you do? You write a letter for a veteran if needed, uh, like an IMO? Um, what's a, excuse me, what's an IMO? That's an independent medical opinion. Okay, right. Yes, I do. And uh, because I will have known that veteran for quite some time, perhaps they've been in therapy with me and I've seen them go through all their stages of ups and downs and in and ins and outs and all of that, and so I um, I do an evaluation for them um, and uh, do testing on them, and then I write a uh, individual medical opinion based on uh, the information that I have and some of the records that I've reviewed. Um, and of course, my uh, my letters are not the only thing that are reviewed by the adjudicators, uh, but it's certainly a uh, part of the evidence that's considered when they're looking at their. Um, service-connected disability uh, eligibility. Well, that's true. That way you could uh, submit also a uh, um, nexus letter uh, attaching the ailment, for instance, PTSD or TBI, Attaching, you know, this happened in the service, and here's where and when it happened. Absolutely, that's that's very important. That is really important. That um, uh, those types of it's like connecting the dots. You know, so many times these um, the people who review a lot of these claims, they have a quota that they have to meet and sometimes things are missed or maybe there's so the information is just so much that if we can um be really specific about well you know this is what happened or uh his I've reviewed his performance records or her performance records and we can see there's a decline in the quality of the work they're doing and uh, you know or performance evaluations that's uh, that's information that's very useful because there is something that happened that caused that person to all of a sudden take a, a, a sharp decline in their performance evaluations so those are just some of the things that we uh, you know that I'm really look at and uh, try you know you're kind of like an investigative reporter you're put, pull, pulling all this information in and trying to make a picture create a picture so that the people who are reading this understand how this veteran was affected by their um, their service activities oh yes mm-hmm. um, so uh, you find yourself doing that quite a bit then don't you yes I do very much so Uh, John, uh, you got any questions here for uh, Bridget? 
Yeah, I'm just enjoying the show, buddy. Keep going. <laughs> okay. Well, I didn't know you might have had something there I wasn't thinking of. But uh, she she's done good work up there. <laughs> I do my best. I wish there was. I wish that. I wish we didn't have to work so hard to prove our point, though, right? Well, yeah, I, I can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're dealing with the BA, uh, sometimes they don't read uh, the writing the same as you would, and uh, mm-hmm. it makes it difficult. I think it really helps, you know, when you have a relationship with that person that's sitting in front of you. You know, it's like, I really care about this person, and I really want to help them, and uh, I want to prove to them that I I can, I, I'll do the best I can to help make a difference in their life if I can. Well, yeah, yeah, believe in, in your patient, you know. <laughs> Is is this story that they're relating to me, is this true? Is there any military records to back it up? Mm-hmm. And uh, if you can get all the pieces, uh, trouble right. is right. You so know, many even pictures they don't get all the pieces. No, I know they don't. Or records are destroyed, you know, like in the St. Louis fire and stuff like that. But even having letters um, from a call, uh, their comrades, that's a really impart, uh, powerful bit of evidence as well. And now, you know, a lot of the units have their own, you know, websites and stuff like that where there are uh, guys putting, posting records, you know, that, that collaborate with, some of the findings online. So that's another source um, that's really good information that the veterans should also use, is that social media does have its its uh, benefits in some ways. Uh, that's uh, uh, what how had it come about, uh, mm-hmm. com, uh was, and, and people, you would be amazed at the amount of records that are contained there at this time. Mm-hmm. I believe we're yeah, getting that's close really important. to 15,000, 16,000 members, and and we covered about every every claim scenario that there probably is. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, it would pay a person if they're having an issue with, with the BA on a, a particular um, ailment or something to go to it and type that information in. It's got an excellent search engine. And, uh, for instance, PTSD, they would have... Uh, lots of uh, information on PTSD or traumatic brain injury. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think traumatic brain injury, uh, those veterans, a lot of them are really get, got shortchanged. Uh, but maybe they'll yeah. get it worked out, you know, in the long run. But uh, it Yeah, that's a, like that's a rough yeah, that is a rough one. Uh, mm-hmm. How to grade them, and mm-hmm. uh, they wanted. Uh, well, the BA went out of the way to try to uh, 
say it's all personality disorders. Well, mm-hmm. of course, we know that's not true. Uh, that's ac- yes, absolutely. That's very true. And, you know, there's there's always, uh, I'm finding, too, with a lot of my vets, they come up with interesting di- physical diagnoses that sometimes um, we can look on the Internet and we can look and read and see if maybe that's perhaps connected to a service connection disability uh, of some sort. You know, like ischemic heart disease, cardiovascular disease, Agent Orange, even skin disorders like psychosis. Uh, uh, psoriasis uh-huh. and all that, and all that. It's very important that we we encourage people to do their homework and uh, just read as much as you can, or find uh, cases like legal cases that have documented that you know this one case there was a correlation between you know whatever <laughs> and this. That's very helpful too for the adjudicators. Well, yes, it sure is. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you got to do. A lot of research if you're going to be successful in winning your claim. And uh, the VA seems like they have a mindset to not be of much help uh, to a veteran. It's easier for them to say, well, there's no evidence to that fact, and that's it. And that leaves the poor veteran. Now he's got a dig up the evidence. He don't get much he don't get enough assistance from the BA. Mhm. That's why and you I, have to have those great service officers and uh those people you hold them close so they can help you get through that process and and help you uh gather the necessary information that's required to um have the strongest uh claim that they can present. Well, true. And and I suspect a lot of your PTSD uh, uh, patients or veterans would fall, fall into that category. Sometimes it's pretty hard to prove up. I don't it know is, what well, yeah. mm-hmm. Sometimes it is, but um, um, I think for the most part, there you could, we can always connect the dots to something, you know. But uh, we just have to be really uh, vigilant and looking for that. How many books have you written on uh, these issues, Uh, uh, I've written, uh, well, let's see, five books. And uh, they range uh, from, well, Downrange to Iraq and Back was the first book, and that was in 2004, and that was uh, pretty much, you know, looking at um, the the, uh, active duty military and some of the issues that they were dealing with in Iraq and uh and had some interviews in there with the troops and uh and you know tools on how post traumatic post traumatic stress manifests and how to deal with that and then um the second book was Once a Warrior Wired for Life and that's how do you transition from uh being in the military to coming back and going into a civilian world and some of the ideas about doing that, which is quite difficult and challenging, especially, you know, you 
you're going into a different phase of life, and it may be going to school or going into employment, uh, starting a family, all of those things. So how do I do this, uh, having left the military? And sometimes that's the very difficult part because the transition is so um, challenging and unfamiliar, and you lose all those people that are around you that have uh, supported you throughout the process of of going through basic or boot camp and going through advanced training and then going into the, you know, the later deployments, wherever those are, and then you come home and you're all by yourself, and it makes it like a very, very lonely place. And that's where um, it can be rather um, dangerous at that point in time because, uh, you know, they they uh, kind of don't know who they are anymore and they get demoralized and uh they figure out that they're not they're not fitting into the work environment they're having challenges in school and so as we know that they report 22 suicides a day and so this is where sometimes this happens because they don't feel like they have any hope they don't feel like it's going to get any better and you know they feel like a failure whereas when in the military they were effective they were in a structured environment they knew what they were going to do and they did it well so coming back and facing these types of issues can be very challenging so that book kind of it pretty much deals with some of those transitional aspects of uh leaving the military and coming back home and then um, the third book is Souls Under Siege, on looking at how the multiple deployments have affected our our our, vet, our 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 warriors and their families. And it's not only just the warriors that are affected, but it's also the families, the children, and the the partners at home as they try to juggle everything. And they're going through transitions themselves uh, without their uh, their parent or their partner who's been deployed and how to deal with that. So there's a lot of tips in there about the family issues and those that um, uh, create problems in the relationships and how to put bring their relationships back together and work on that. And then the fourth book is um, Through the Woods, Over the Hill, The Aging of America's Warriors. So this is about what do we do with ourselves after we take our uniform off for the final time, you know, whether that be through a medical retirement or a uh, career retirement or just making the decision to get out of the military. How do we redefine ourselves? And, and at an older age, how do you get yourself back in the saddle again and figure out who am I, what do I want to do with my life, am I going to be making an impact or and leaving some type of a legacy, or am I just stagnant and, and not really contributing? So that book is all about that. And, and then I have a workbook um, that I've written that goes along with the uh, Once a Warrior Wired for Life that is actually for a couple to work on uh, or even individual asking questions and having more exploration about the issues and aspects of um, the transitional process from going from military into the civilian world. Wow, you have been busy. <laughs> well, I have been. I I actually have another book that's in my computer, and I just got to get myself in gear to get it out there and uh, design the cover and stuff. And it's about actually how our world is affected by trauma, and not necessarily military trauma. So it's pretty timely right now. It's uh, looking at how caregivers are affected by trauma. A caregiver could be a a, a teacher, uh, a parent, uh, someone in the community that's dealing with uh, uh, 
people that are, have been traumatized, like in a school setting. We're seeing more and more of that, of course, and working with uh, emergency medical personnel who have a, have been first on the scene to some of these mass shootings um, that we're dealing with in our society is is very traumatic. And how do we, how do we as caregivers who are here to kind of keep uh, the 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 foundation going so that our peop- our kids and our p- family members can survive this stuff emotionally. How do we take care of ourselves? So that's another book. And hopefully my goal is for this year of 2017 is to get that out and uh, and start marketing that. Well, that sounds good uh, because it, that would be an important book because you're going on to a scene where there's there's no logic in what you're saying, uh, especially mm-hmm. on these mass murders. There's no reason for it. Yeah, and, uh, that's right. Uh, it's hard to justify in your own mind how how such an event could happen. Uh, that's right. It's it's you know it's one thing to be trained to go into war, you know, you know you're a, you're a soldier, you're a you're a marine, airman, a sailor, whatever, coast guard guy, you you're going to go in and you're going to go into hostile environments if that's where you're called to go. Um but to actually be in a setting where this isn't supposed to happen, you know, this is not what this is about. We're supposed to feel uh, safe in our communities, in our churches, in our schools, in our shopping centers, um, our sporting events, our theaters. We're supposed to feel, feel that this is a place we can go and be with family and friends and enjoy an evening or a day or go and learn something and better ourselves. Uh, and then all of a sudden some of these things occur and there isn't that you can't get your hands around this. It doesn't, it's not, there's no logic to this. So that's why it's so difficult. One of the aspects yeah. that makes it so difficult. Yes, and uh, it it uh, I'm sure it's taking its toll too. Um, mm-hmm. More, Absolutely. More than we uh, probably are aware of. Uh, well, it's caused our it's caused us to change protocol and uh, you know be a much more aware, but also kind of puts us on edge because. We are always looking around our shoulder and hoping that we have uh, a good evening, you know, and nothing's going to happen. So it's it's a sad situation. It's changing the way we look at our lives, I think, pretty much. Well, true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you want to change professions or something. <laughs> Uh, and no, I imagine some I, of them it's my it's my calling. It's what I love. I'm drawn to trauma like, like a moth to a flame, and this is what I love doing. I love helping people. I, it's uh, it's such an honor. So I don't think that will ever happen. I think I'll be like my mom and probably go out about 94, 95. But I'll be sitting on the porch talking to people, trying to figure out yeah. life. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd get me a little piggy to run around with your dog. And that, <laughs> now, that, that would be fun. That would give us some uh, something to laugh about, wouldn't it? Yeah, that way you could call him Mutt and Jeff. <laughs> but, uh, That's right. Uh, but, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, it, well, it is. It's a serious situation. 
And uh, it is. It so we like have to figure out off. how we're going to uh, make the best of everything every day, right? We have to look for the good in people, and we have to think about how am I going to make this day a good day, and or am I grateful just to have awakened this morning, and what am I going to do to make it a good day? And I think we have to really make a ca- uh, a concerted effort to put that into our our daily mindset, because sometimes it doesn't come so easy. Well, that's true. It don't come so easy. And uh, oh, it doesn't come easy. Nothing's easy. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, well there's got to be a little little light somewhere. So uh, otherwise, yeah. we got to create create it right. Surround ourselves yeah. by. People that we love, we feel comfortable and safe with, yeah. and uh, can laugh at even the dark situations, and uh, just make the best of what we can do each day. Oh, for sure! Yeah. I like to hang around with people that eat pork chops. I like to well, hang around good. with that. <laughs> Pinto beans. Don't forget the pinto beans. Yeah. <laughs> and the corn on the cob and iced tea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, uh, find you find you a nutrition expert for next show, girl. We'll talk about food. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now listen to this. I heard this show where this guy was saying. This is just before Thanksgiving. He was saying, now, to cut calories during your Thanksgiving dinner, I, I, it's a really a good recipe, you guys. You've got to use oatmeal for your dressing. And I'm going, oatmeal? <laughs> no butter, no nothing, just oatmeal and a little seasoning. So uh, <laughs> that didn't sound too appealing to me. Oh, no, I think I'd skip that. <laughs> well, now you can put baby in it, and that'd be okay. <laughs> it might well, be. it might be. Put some sage in it. <laughs> I do have a yeah, right. It's going to have the sausage in it. <laughs> yeah, and sausage. <laughs> I, I do so, have a, so humor a, is really you know, important, too, you know? Very, very important. Always. Well, you got to have it or you go nuts. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you find things that you love doing, like playing music. And I have quite a few people that have brought their guitars into my office and had me in tears as they're sitting there singing their song and playing their guitar. And I just, I just, I know their pain and I see them play and I'm just, oh, it's so touching. So things like that, anything we can do, you know, being around animals, um, volunteering at, at animal shelters or uh, animal sanctuaries of some sort going out. and re- I, I have a friend who goes out and he was rescuing animals out in Fayetteville. And, I mean, that's just so amazing uh, that, and, you know, that brings us so much joy to think that we're doing something to make a difference in other people's lives. Well, yeah, that's a benefit. It uh, is. So, how about a PTSD-related question? What's that? I got a question related to post-traumatic stress disorder as far as, you know, as a Mm -hmm. a historical aspect of PTSD. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I know the guys in World War II, when they, you know, they came home, they didn't really have a diagnosis or or, or a system of PTSD. I guess they call it being shell-shocked. 
That's right. And uh, so I guess it's evolved through, you know, the years through Vietnam and after the current war. You know, the military itself, when they induct you in the military, you know, you go through a little psychological evaluation when you go in. And I'm wondering if that system itself, you know, that, that aspect and the psychological evaluation of the person they do from either a draft or volunteer, but when they, you know, when they do the paperwork and do all the medical stuff on them, you know, is there some way we can get them to do a better job screening these folks? Because some folks, you know, they, you know, they need a lot of, you know, need, they need a lot of screening. I think it yeah, would be So what I hear, what I'm, if I'm hearing you correctly, uh, I'm hearing you say that there's there's uh sometimes we some people fall through the cracks and and they're not the type of person that could handle being in a situation such as a war zone situation or uh, yes. they don't have the uh intrinsic uh uh personality structure or makeup where they could handle working in that kind of environment. Yes. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'm thinking the military can do a better job, not let folks fall through the cracks and do a better job screening. That would make your job Right, I think that's people. that's a a very valid point. And the other, the I think that's very important. But you know how some people go in the military for different reasons, right? Like, you know, we had the draft in Vietnam and all of that, and everybody went in World War II and stuff. But let's say. Um, Let's just look at OEF, OIF. You know, some people go in because they are following a family legacy. Some people go in because they want a better situation. Maybe their home life was really horrible, and and they really want a chance to make something of their lives. They want an education. And some people are just absolutely, that's what they dreamed of being, was was a soldier, a Marine, an airman, a sailor. That was all they thought about as a, a little person. And so everybody has a different type of, um, I guess, a process by which they'd make these decisions. Um, so that in itself indicates that there's so many different types of reasons and different kinds of people that go in the military, and and certainly some who are, some are more more able to deal with working in trauma or not trauma, but I mean working in a war zone. Some people are more. Uh, suited for administration or medic work or whatever. So I, I don't know how they could do a better job. I suppose they could do uh, testing on, you know, some of the, in graduate school we did so many different kind of tests looking at our personality structures and all that stuff. So I suppose they could do that and see um, what their attributes are and if they're if they're actually fit for being in the military. Yeah, I know they put a lot of instances on their that testing as far as placement of the people in service. That's what job they can do, you know, it gives them a range mm-hmm. to And you're exactly right. I mean, it, you know, um, I've had a couple of friends. I had one close friend, actually. Uh, he, a uh, Vietnam veteran, was on a, he was actually on the USS Mars during Vietnam. And uh, one of his jobs would be to go ashore and they'd have to have one, so they had to carry bodies and things like that. Mm-hmm. Of course, it'd be eight years. The VA for years, you know, they said that uh, the Mars was never even close to Vietnam. It, you know, they never docked or anything. And so they kept denying his claim. And uh, so he got uh, subjected and rejected back then, but uh, he kind of snapped and they kicked him out with personality disorder. Well, yes, that's wrong. Personality disorder. And they've done that, that to is... so many veterans, it's unbelievable. 
I know, and I, I, I know, and I know that I say that's like the kiss of death because that's a, an excuse for not acknowledging and validating um, what they went through and how it affected them. Because you know, personality disorders that starts as a young that starts out, and that's your that's your process as you are a young person, and um, and obviously there's been many things in their lives prior to that time where they're very successful and they have good social relationships and what all, all that stuff. So that's how we counteract that stuff. We look at what, what they were like before they went in the military and if they had a lot of friends and they were really social and they were able to follow through on tasks and they didn't have any anger issues and stuff like that, that's a good indicator. That's not a personality disorder. This is a result of something that they had to go through, and it changed the way that they view themselves and their lives and, and everything around them. So, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. That's a very tragic situation. Fortunately, fortunately had a couple of ladies on the later this year. You know, we got the ship targeted to when it docked, and we got, it, we got him 100%. But still, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, if he didn't have that, he'd have nothing. Mhm. Yep. That's right. So, and you know, there's there's Yeah, and you know there there's another aspect to this too is I have witnessed this as well where some veterans will almost make uh light of the fact that well, that person was just uh, an admin person or that person wasn't in uh, the combat zone or whatever, but I'm thinking, you know, you don't have to be in a combat zone to be traumatized or to have something uh, some type of event happened that is that forever changes you, and I think that that kind of stuff needs to stop because that's invalidating someone else's process. Yeah, you know I think that's just too many people think that way, Bridget. That, well, it's uh, a sad situation because. You know, sometimes, you know, uh, some of these people that may not have even been designated to be uh, in a combat zone were called to do things that, you know, were pretty awful. And um, just because their MOS doesn't indicate it doesn't mean it didn't happen. That's exactly right. They could have been TDY. They could have been, you know, all... There's all mm-hmm. sorts of scenarios that could fit that situation. That's they right. could have just been, been transported from one place to another and ended up, uh, you know, in a bad deal. That's uh, right. Yeah. Had a really dear friend of mine in Vietnam. He he retired to the VA a few years ago. He was a uh, he was in the, in the bush out in the jungle. They had to dig in, and he stepped on a punji stick. Oh. And so I take him to the, to the hospital, I guess to the field hospital. And mm-hmm. he had to stay there for several days, I guess, get the infection out of his foot. And uh, he's talking to him, and the x ray tech that took the x ray to sex, they rotated out and didn't have an x ray tech. And he, he spoke up and said, I'm a licensed x ray tech. And he went from the jungle to the field hospital in one day. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yep, so you just life. never know, do you? So that's why it's really important that uh, I, I think it's really important that even veterans encourage their buddies, you know, to keep going. And and you get really discouraged if you keep getting turned down and you know denied all the time. But don't give up. Do not give up. 
just keep moving forward and and make sure you've got a good service officer that uh, is there to support you. Very, very important. Well, you always have to have something to look forward to, too, something positive, you know, something positive that's going yeah. to happen. And you always have to keep That's right. you got to have hope, that. right? Yeah, hope is the biggest mm-hmm. issue. That's the biggest. That's what keeps you pulling the trigger, you know, because you got a lot. There's too many better suicides. Mm-hmm. Or That's right. Help on the suicide hotline. It doesn't help when the report comes up about the suicide hotline and putting the voice mail or putting you on hold too. You know what I mean? I know. No, that's true. See, I give all my guys. My guys have my cell phone number. So, and there's been many a time that I've answered that, and so you know that is really difficult. So there's a lot of work to do to get these systems uh, more working more effectively. Uh, in any aspect because, you know, you call a suicide hotline, you better have somebody on the other line that you can talk to. In fact. And sometimes, you know, that's the only window of opportunity because maybe, you know, it takes a lot of courage to uh, step up to the plate and say, you know what, I'm at my wit's end, I need help, I can't do this. And that takes a lot of courage especially for a warrior to come forward and admit that. So, and if we're not op- if we're not available and a suicide hotline is not available and you're put on hold, you may lose that opportunity to help uh, uh that person stay alive another moment, another minute, another day. So, very very important. Yeah, well, it can be a we've, got split. A, we've got about 4 minutes left. Once you leave your uh uh, information, your website, things like that, so we can put so it can be broadcast and folks listen to the show will be able to refresh it and they okay. want to go on your website and do some surfing. And... Uh huh. Okay, my website um, is um, www dot bridget. That's b r i d g e t cantrell c a n t r e l l dot com, and um, my uh, um, I'm up here in Bellingham, Washington, and uh, let's see, what else do we need? My office number is 360-714-1525, and I'm on Facebook, Bridget Cantrell. I've got Bridget Cantrell on Facebook, um, so I, I'm easily accessible to communication. And you could send me uh, off my website. Um, you can also send me emails. Um, there's a place where you can do that, and uh, I will get back to you on that. Well, that's good. Mhm. So. Well, Bridget, we really appreciate you coming on tonight. You give us some good information. And, well, thank uh, you. I I really enjoy being on your program, and I uh, it's uh, it's just so important that uh, we get the word out and and uh, look at how we can help people process through this and just know that there's hope out there and they're not alone and there's other people out there to help them and uh, encourage them to just take the next step. Um, 
and hang on for another day, you know, another moment, and not give up and uh, use the resources that they have in their backyard and reach out to other veterans and other people that you trust so that you have uh, some type of a connection so you, you're not alone in this process. Well, we do have a, a good audience, and and it's getting the information out there, letting veterans know that there is help. Mm-hmm. If you don't get it one place, you can get it another. And uh, uh, getting a hold of you is one way, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. going to com. Uh, they have, like you said, the suicide hotline. And um, be sure to utilize these. Uh, you know, we're coming up on Christmas time here, and not the too too far away. And mm-hmm. that's usually a rough time for veterans, a lot of veterans. Absolutely. And, uh, uh, don't give up hope at all. Uh, just keep going and and uh, seek out some help. If you have to go to your local uh, ER, do it. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. But there's help out there. Uh, take advantage of that. And, 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 and you know, there's also, like I know up here, we uh, I'm always being connecting veterans with the American Legion or whatever because they're giving out turkeys and they're they're having uh, dinners at their uh, places, their service organization halls and stuff like that. So, and also getting out there and maybe contributing to the community in some way during the holiday. So, uh, it is a really rough time for a lot of people. You know, you start reminiscing about the people that you no longer have uh, to celebrate the holidays with or what you've lost. But if we can get outside ourselves and start contributing in some way, that also helps with that that uh, emotional pain. It sure does. And mm-hmm. uh, with that, this uh, John, I appreciate you being on as uh, co-host. And Bridget, we hope to get you back on real soon. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. And, and we want to get the word out and let people know there's, there are those out there that do care, and uh, mm-hmm. we care. Absolutely. And this will be Gerald Cook uh, with the Had It Podcast. We'll be signing off for now. You've been listening to the HadIt.com Blog Talk Radio Show, sponsored by HadIt.com. All opinions expressed here are the opinions of the individuals appearing on the show and are not the opinions of HadIt.com or Blog Talk Radio. Tune in next time for another edition of Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio and the Ask Basher Show.